And this is the final class for the So Winning for Jesus class. This is class number 10. Uh, we are looking at, and I meant to have this open, uh, but we are looking at uh, apathy and evangelism, looking at uh, what happens when we teach the lost. And that is our topic uh, this evening. Uh, as of right now, I have not yet decided what class I'll be teaching uh, next spring, Lord willing. Um, <clears throat> I hope to decide that here within the next month or so. Um, I don't recall when the next when, when the spring class begins, uh, but um, here in the next few weeks, I'll have something lined out. Uh, definitely in, in time before spring begins. But I hope you have enjoyed this class. It's so winning for Jesus. This is not meant to be a class that, of course, covers every single thing you can think of when you think about being a soul winner for Christ. Uh, we do hope we have hit the high points, and we hope you have enjoyed this class. And as I mentioned in the email, uh, you should have the outlines uh, for this for the previous class. Uh, this class, the outlines will be sent to you here in probably about uh, 48 hours, a day or two. I usually wait so you can watch the video before I send out the outline. And we've talked about that before. Uh, I will send out the outline, the material that you're missing from the second class, we, from the second part of the class that we did on conducting the study. I should say the second session we did. Uh, that was a two-part uh, study. And I'll, I'm going to scan those and send those out to you. And so you'll have those. And if you find uh, here by Saturday, you should have everything. Um by Friday probably, but if you don't uh, have everything, if you don't have all all the material for all the classes, uh, send me an email, let me know, and I'll make sure you get everything that you need. And just keep in mind the outlines, some of the outlines are just uh, what I call skeleton outlines, something you can build off of, something you can look at while you're watching the class, something like that. They're not meant to be a, a, a manuscript by any form. So let's begin this evening looking at uh, apathy and evangelism and you'll notice on your notes the first thing we look at is apathy and our day what does it mean for to when we think about apathy in our time uh, there is apathy among brethren today apathy is seen in the uh, irregular church attendance when you say apathy we mean those who the word apathy really think about it this way those who have no desire no concern really for anything there's no zeal uh, nothing behind them that really that really pushes them to do that which is pleasing the sight of God. I don't know what it is about this class in Tuesday evenings, but I'm always thirsty. And I'm always taking a drink during my class. But anyway, looking at apathy in our time, apathy is seen, in, as I said before, in the irregular church attendance. Uh, irregular church attendance, you think about Sunday mornings, they're always different from Sunday night. It doesn't matter where you are. They're always different. It is said that one of the most uh, accurate gauges of a church's temperature is the attendance record of, of its members. When Sunday night attendance drops to one-half, Sunday morning attendance, and Wednesday night attendance drops to one-third, it indicates that some are not very interested in the church, nor their spiritual health. And you think about that. Attendance, as I said before, that's the most basic, the easiest step that a person can can do to show how much they love the Lord or how little they love the Lord. And we've talked about that before, I think, at, at length, uh, if not in this class, in previous classes. When the Bible school attendance is only 
three-fourths of the number at worship on Sunday morning indicates a lack of interest in learning much more about the Bible. You know, I wish we had three-quarters of the members who come, of our regular membership who come for Bible classes. Uh, we have a pretty good attendance here where we're at. Uh, of course, we have different amounts on Sunday nights. We have a different amount on Wednesday night. But with, between our Bible classes and our worship service we on Sunday morning, we seem to be uh, pretty close. We're not a huge congregation, but we do seem to have a good number on Sunday morning Bible class and then Sunday morning worship. But Sunday night, just like anywhere else, we have those who aren't there. Wednesday night is the same way. He says here, looking at, this is from a lesson by Marvin Rickett, talking about apathy. He says, another symptom of apathy is the shallow knowledge of the Bible so many brethren have. That is, those who know so very little, they know what we call, what I call sometimes, you have those lessons just kind of skim the surface. They don't go real deep. Uh, you know, you can't dive with them because they don't go deep in their material. And so, uh, just a, a shallow knowledge. Let's look at some attitudes that lead uh, that lead to uh, apathy. Doubt can lead to apathy. That is, when one doubts that he can know the truth, or doubts that the Church of Christ is really unique or essential, or that, or doubts that the heathen or unbeliever is really lost, or doubts that the gospel is obviously necessary, or is absolutely necessary to salvation. This erodes his resolve to be zealous and active in dispensing the gospel of Christ and in defending the faith. We need a strong faith in serving the Lord. Apathy is 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 seen in so many ways. He talks about here how uh, when one has doubts, and he mentions the various doubts uh, that one has, that leads to apathy. Also, worldliness leads to apathy. When one wants to maintain one foot in the world and one the church, he is not very effective. In our age, too many church members want to enjoy the pleasures of the world and yet do not do yet do not do just enough to to uh, just do fucking talk. Can do just enough church work and be just religious enough to escape hell. That's what some believe. The lack of of, a, of living a dynamic personal relationship with God causes apathy. Each Christian individual needs to walk closely with his God. He needs time for personal Bible study, prayer, and meditation. He needs the resolve to be a faithful Christian, even if he were the last person on earth doing so. Let's look at some consequences of apathy. If you think about consequences of apathy, everything has consequences no matter what we're doing. Uh, you know, all the... All the um, actions we do bear consequences. Everything we do bear consequences. The great danger of apathy lies in its deadening effect. It slowly deadens and consumes without the victims feeling pain. It tolerates the little, the little until the little becomes too big to handle. It is progressive. Thomas B. Warren compared it to the apathy of Europe when Hitler began his conquest, the world shrugged when Hitler occupied the, the Rhineland. What he means by that is the world just didn't really think much about it. Really just kind of shrugged it off. So, 
another danger of apathy. Everything has dangers. Apathy has plenty of dangers and plenty of consequences. Another danger of apathy is its effect is that it affects the next generation. Unless diligent teaching is done, the next generation will be ignorant of the truth and the struggle for the faith. You know, just the other night, I said the other night, a couple of weeks ago, I had a young man in class, and he very much so has an issue with being apathetic towards the church right now. He's he's a young man and in his teens and begin has begun working in secular work and things like that and still in high school. And when I was asking him different things, he just shrugged and shrugged and I just finally asked him, said, Do you do you care at all about whether or not you're committing sin and things you're doing? And he just shrugged, Well, I don't know. You know what's sad isn't so much his attitude because that's common among young young individuals that age. Uh, they really just, they're not too concerned about anything. We want to encourage him and, and do what we can to help him. But also one of the other problems is uh, the poor example that he sees every day around his uh, around his family and friends. And that only leads to more problems with uh, apathy. And with him having a, so what, I'm not interested type of attitude. Because it will spread. Apathy is mediocre. Some things must be handled by extreme measures. Mediocrity will not do the job. Apathy says, in effect, sin is not really that bad. Hell is really not that awful. Heaven's really not that great. Souls are not really worth that much. Salvation is really not that precious. Now that is a great quote when you think about apathy. Everything is really just not that much. Everything is really not that important. Everything is really, is really not that bad. And, you know, that's terrifying. We look at how our world is today. Apathy has caused a whole lot of harm. Well, let's look at the need to be zealous. Our class tonight is looking at apathy and evangelism and what happens when we teach the lost. Well, we're looking at apathy and evangelism. Well, if someone is apathetic towards the church, they're not going to be evangelistic, are they? You know, they're not going to jump to the next level while at the same time being apathetic, having no concern whatsoever for the church. The solution to apathy, now again, this is from a lesson by Marvin Rickett, taken from the Church Growth God's Way Lectureship back in 1985. See, lectureship books, I wish people, more people put them out because we can learn so much. It's great to see Bible you know, sermons and things like that, but have those things in print, you can flip through them anytime. It's just a tremendous asset. So looking at the need to be zealous... He says that the solution to apathy was given by the Lord to the to Laodicean church in Revelation 3 and verse 19, where he says, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous. That was their cure. They needed to be on fire, become committed, dedicated, and consecrated. If the cause of Christ has any value at all, it deserves our total effort. Paul admonished Christians to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Romans 12, verse 11. The Christian has died to the world and come to alive, come alive in Christ, Romans 6 and verse 11. He needs to act like he is alive. The early church was militant. They were accused of turning the world upside down in Acts 17, verse 6. They surely felt a deep sense of indebtedness and gratitude for their salvation. The proper outgrowth of, their, of this feeling of indebtedness and gratitude was zealous service to the Savior, to the Lord.
preachers need to feel the urgency of the gospel. Paul charged Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, Preach the word, be, ready, be urgent in season and out of season. The old country preacher said in season and out of season means when, that, when, means when they is listening and when they ain't listening. <laughs> That's the old country uh, preacher quote here by uh, Marvin Rickett. Uh, we say today is you preach it when they like it and you preach it when they don't. You preach it when they need it and you preach it when they know when they get fully understanding. You still preach the truth always. People need to be reminded of things as well. The church needs zeal in its leadership. Elders who will inspire and encourage growth by their optimism. You know, it is so encouraging to have people in leadership who are optimistic, who are positive. Because when we're negative Nellies and Debbie Downers and just putting, you know, saying, well, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work, and what's going to happen? People will become apathetic towards outreach and other areas of the church, and they're just going to stop. And before you know it, they won't even come in the door anymore. We need more people to be optimistic. All Christians should consider themselves in a warfare, a life and death struggle, and quit quit yourselves like men, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse, verse 13. And then he gives four guidelines which will break the apathy syndrome. First, he says, to be fully convicted of the necessity and righteousness and, and of the necessity and rightness of the cause and fully committed to its propagation and defense. Second, to give diligent, diligence rather, Second Peter 1, 5 through 11, put out the utmost effort and hard work. A person's affections will be centered in that which he expends the most effort Number three, preach the word as it stands without apology, without addition or subtraction. Be convinced of its absolute truthfulness, its authority, and its being the, the objective standard. Exercise all vigilance, vigilance against sin and Satan. Be not ignorant of his devices nor the subtle ways of temptation. And I really enjoy the comments he makes about, being, about apathy and being zealous, the cure for being apathetic. Now, like he points out here, his second guideline for breaking the apathy syndrome, he says, put out the utmost effort. He says, give diligence. And I'm going to brag on Uluga here a little bit, but I think about all the things this congregation is involved in, one of them being, of course, OABS, another one being the Internet radio programs we put out through org, the Gospel Real Network as well. The house to house uh, flyers that go out, uh, I think it's six times a year that it goes out. And our year, we send it out to about 3,000 people. Close to, I think it's 2,800 and some odd, but pretty close to 3,000 people. I think about uh, the missionaries that we support who go overseas, the mission trips I have taken that this congregation supports as well, and all the various ways in which we try to put the gospel out, gospel meetings summer series, vacation Bible schools, uh, special sermon series, and on and on it goes. And I am thankful to be a part of a congregation that's trying to do all it can to put out that gospel, excuse me, that gospel message. Okay, so we have looked at apathy and evangelism. We know, of course, that apathy has no place in evangelism. But next, next, let's look at what happens when we teach the lost. And we have four points looking at what happens when we teach the lost. And this is coming from, uh, some of this is coming from Roger Campbell's book, Evangelistic Efforts. 
And he says, uh, the first point he has here is, when we teach the lost, we are doing what the Lord instructed us to do. Jesus gave, gave the charge to go and teach or make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28 and verse 19. He commanded his disciples to preach the gospel to every person in the whole world, Mark 16 and verse 15. When you and I take part in this effort, we are doing what all Christians are supposed to do. And there is no doubt about it, it gives us a sense of satisfaction and great feeling to know that we are doing what the Lord wants us to do. It is, it is, you might say, contagious when you start knocking doors and visiting the people and you have those, especially when they start responding, uh, you don't want to stop. You know, I think about the trip to Fiji. We had so many people responding and wanting to study the Bible that I wish we could have stayed longer. Uh, and so those things are encouraging when we teach the loss, we're doing the Lord instructed us to do, and it is encouraging because once you get started and get going, especially when you start having some responses, you're not going to want to stop. But also what encourages us is seeing others who are out there with us, to look across the street and see your brother in Christ knocking the door as well, uh, to look down the road and see brothers and sisters in Christ passing out uh, flyers and pamphlets and correspondence courses and just begging people to learn about God and to give us a chance to talk to them about Christ. When we teach the lost, we are giving them the chance to hear the only message that can save their soul. I think that's one of the most important things that we can remember and that should motivate us. When we teach the lost, we're giving them a chance to hear the gospel message that can save their soul if they will respond obediently. The gospel, we must remember, is God's power unto salvation, Romans 1, verse 16. That message alone is called the gospel of your salvation in Ephesians 1, verse 13. When we teach the gospel to the lost, we provide them with an opportunity to obey from the heart the only doctrine that can set man free from sin, Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. When we think about this, when we teach the lost... We are also increasing the odds of, of more people being saved and going to heaven. And he gives this illustration here. A farmer knows that no, that no sowing means no reaping or harvest, Galatians 6, verse 7. An insurance agent knows that no effort to sell insurance means no purchasing of insurance. In the same way, no sowing of the word of God means no spiritual harvest of souls. But there is another mathematical factor involved in teaching the lost. It is of finding people that will receive the word. And the more saints that are involved in teaching the lost, the better the chances of contacting people that will obey the gospel. Suppose in a congregation of 50 members, only one person tries, only one person works to try and teach the lost. Let's say that on average he tries to teach one person per month. That means that in a year, when it, that in a one-year period, this church has tried to reach a whopping total of twelve people. But if we, but if every member of the congregation would get involved, if all fifty members—now we know, I don't know of any congregation, no matter what size, or every single person who has the ability and has the knowledge to do so—I say, I say that because we know a five-year-old child isn't going knocking doors, but it doesn't mean the youth can't be involved in that. But a 50-member congregation, any congregation has every person involved doing evangelistic work. Uh, I'd like to visit that congregation. I don't care what size they are. Uh, but he says here, he says, um, I lost my place. 
He says, it is a wonderful effort. He says, let's say that on average he tries to one, one person per, per month, so they teach a whopping 12 people in a year. It is wonderful that an effort is made to reach those 12 people, but what if every member of the congregation would get involved? If all 50 members would try to teach one person per month, well, the church has gone from trying to reach just 12 people in one year to reaching out to 600. That's 50 times 12. In our above, he says, in our illustration, by no means are we suggesting that we should restrict ourselves to trying to reach or teach just one person per month. But the point is clear, isn't it? We need more people involved. When we teach the lost, we become better teachers as a result. The more we teach, the more comfortable and confident we become as teachers. The more we teach, the more effective and confident we become as communicators. The more we teach, the more we are prepared to set forth logical arguments in a clear fashion. You know, the more you do things, the better you're going to get at it. People say, well, I, you know, I'm not good at preaching. Well, how many times do you preach? Well, I'll preach about once or twice a year. Well, that's why. That's one of the reasons why. Get more involved in it. Preach more. Teach more. Get active. You know, the more you do something, the better you'll get at it. You have to practice, practice, practice. And that's with anything. And so we should not be surprised that if we preach once, twice a year and then be upset that we're not very good at it. We need to practice more and more about it, more and more on that. <clears throat> the more we teach, the more we are forced to study the Word of God, and in the long run, that is going to benefit us. It will benefit those we try to teach, and it will likewise benefit anyone around us that we may want to influence. Teaching the gospel to the lost people is like, is like a lot of other activities in life. The more experience we gain in doing it, the more skilled we become at it. But another way, practice improves performance. We have to be more active. The conversion of a lost soul to the Lord Jesus requires the good seed, the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11. An honest and good heart on the part of the hearer, Luke 8, verse 15. And a sower. We must be sowers that go everywhere preaching and teaching the word of God, Acts 8, and verse 4. So as you think about these things we mentioned this evening, uh, we go back to looking at our class. We've looked at apathy and evangelism, seeing how apathy has affected us in this life today, in this world. Attitudes that lead to apathy. Consequences of apathy and the need to be zealous. And we looked at how what happens when we teach the lost. We see that good things happen when we teach the lost. We see that when we teach the lost, we are, we are doing what the Lord instructed us to do. We have seen that when we teach the lost, we are giving them a chance to hear the only message that can save their soul. When we teach the lost, we are increasing the odds of more people go, being saved and going to heaven. And when we teach the lost, we become better teachers as a result. You think about being a soul winner for Jesus, and we've talked about this many times before. This is a task that's not going to be easy. I don't know anyone who would tell you that being a soul winner for Christ is going to be easy, because it's not. Trying to win souls for Christ is one of the most difficult things that we could be involved in. It's one of those things that causes us, you know, to con be concerned about others. 
It causes us to worry about their well-being. We look at all the things we've talked about already in this class. We have talked about the need for personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. That's our very first class, the need for it. And we need to help others see that there is a real need for personal evangelism. In our second class, we talk about what is personal evangelism and who should participate. And the fact of the matter is, we saw in that everyone should participate. All those who are prepared and are ready to do it. We need to be out there trying to reach the lost. We may not be uh, the greatest, have, have the greatest success rate, but we still need to be out there doing it, trying to reach out to the lost so that we can help anyone who might be interested and willing to study, help them see the truth of God's Word, and help them have eternal life. We talked about in our third class requirements for successful evangelism. We talked about doing things God's way, Bible ways, and not getting mixed up into denominational ideas. In our fourth class, we talked about making the approach and setting up the study. Probably the most difficult part, besides preparing ourselves for the study, the most difficult part of a Bible study is just getting that study set up, encouraging someone to study with you and actually hear them saying yes, and then actually getting a Bible study set in place. That is probably, without a doubt, the most difficult part of a Bible study, to just to get that study. But we talked about how to make the approach, some do's and don'ts, and setting up the study. And then in our fifth class, we talked about some teaching methods, because there are some good methods and there are some not-so-good methods. There are pros and cons to everything. And so we talked about teaching methods. And then in class 6 and 7, we talked about conducting the study. And we talked about, and I used the method, particularly in our second class, looking at the method that I picked up from Stacy Ferguson, his method of study, and showed how we, how, well, one way that we could reach the lost and study with them. And so we we see there is a steady progression of how uh, how we have done this, building up to the study, conducting the study, and then suggestions in our last class, suggestions for one-on-one Bible study. I believe we had 20 uh, suggestions for one-on-one Bible study. Or excuse me, that was uh, class, yeah, that was class number nine. Or class number eight, sorry. Class number number nine was motivation for personal evangelism and what we can do to help the church grow in our area. We need to motivate people to get active. We need to keep ourselves motivated and think about ways which we can reach out to our area. One of the reasons we, we do OABS, one of the reasons we have Internet radio programs, is because we want to reach out to the lost. We realize people are on the Internet all the time, and so we want to be out there, be an option for them to learn, to grow, and to come to God and come to Christ. That's why we're here. And today we've talked about apathy and evangelism, how it has no place in the life of a Christian and certainly doesn't go together with evangelism. And we looked at what happens when we teach the lost. Well, we give the lost a chance to become the saved. And so that's what we want to do. I thank you for being in class with me this evening. I hope you have enjoyed this class, the Soul Winner for Jesus. As I mentioned before, if you have any suggestions or ideas you'd like to, something you'd like to study our next, for our next quarter, uh, just let me know. This is being a supplemental class. We can, I can pretty much, uh, pick different topics to study. And, but, so I will, there's a few ideas I had, but I always ask for feedback and sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. People sometimes just, you know, whatever you pick, uh, we'll take it if, if that's something we want to do. 
But I do thank you for being in class with me throughout all these 10 classes. Uh, remember, if you still have your syllabus, we use three books, reference three books throughout this class. And if you have the ability to find and locate these books, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, one is just a lectureship book that I mentioned earlier from 39th Street Church of Christ. The second one was by James Bales, Every Member Every Day, Evangelism, Every Member Every Day. And the third one was by Roger Campbell called Evangelistic Efforts, Taking the Gospel to Lost Far and Near. No doubt there's a lot more information in those books and will be covered probably in these 10 classes. But if you put what you learned in those books and what we talked about here, you'll definitely be ready to go out and, to, and have a good uh, gauge on how to conduct studies and what to expect.